Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Thinking Project Podcast, where we interview founders and creatives to help you take the next step in your business by listening to inspired stories of these wonderful founders. I hope you enjoy this podcast and make sure to share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. What's up, Connor? How are you, my friend? Dalton, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, really excited yeah. to see what we jump into today. Dude, I'm excited to, to be here. Real quick, you have a lot going on. Um, you, I, but one of the things you have is that you're Millennial in the Middle podcast, right? Yes, sir. And then you have the Opt Me business, right? Yep. Or Opt. Yep. T- tell us more. Tell us more about what you got going on. Introduce yourself. Yeah, you know, kind of like a lot of people, I think your your path a lot of times takes some weird turns. It is a little windy, but getting to the point where you are, and it's pretty cool to see how a lot of events have come together uh, over the last little bit. And I think for a while, I knew I was preparing for something, but didn't quite know what I was preparing for. And uh, right now, I say I can say, yeah, here's what's going on. So to give you a little background, I started my career as a professional speaker uh, ever since I was a little kid. That that's what I wanted to do. I've uh, stage fright is not a thing I've ever felt. The bigger the crowd, the better. And I had that entertainer side in me and uh, started my career working for a financial investment training company uh, in the seminar world. And at 21 years old, like I'm speaking on stages, I was uh, traveled to 47 states, uh, 10 d- different countries, and was on the road about three or four weeks a month. So it was, wow. uh, yeah, pretty crazy lifestyle for about five years. And, you know, honestly, from the speaker standpoint, it was kind of like that getting your 10,000 hours, right? Of getting in there and a lot of reps. I was on stage for about three hours a day, day after day after day with new groups. And so I really enjoyed that. And I saw all of a sudden, like, kind of the entertainment side and this uh, speaking side that I've always seen, it all of a sudden merged with sales and business and marketing. And uh, that's what really got me excited. Uh, I joined a startup company pretty early on about five years ago that ultimately got me off the road during that uh, bit. I worked with a company called Gig, G-I-G-G, and was there for about four years doing all things sales and marketing and kind of learned the tech startup game for the first time. And uh, then at the end of last year, I connected with a gentleman named Jason Peterson, who has done a lot of uh, different startups as well as buying bankrupt businesses. And that's kind of has been his MO in his career. And uh, we started riffing on this basic idea of a monetized meeting and getting paid for your time. And uh, it's led to what uh, we're about to launch, the app uh, called Opt. Uh, Our website is optme.com. So the company's Opt. uh, It's like Venmo me, right? We're trying to make that the verb going that way. So definitely can tell you more about that. And uh, then along the way, I've kept my personal speaking side going uh, with a podcast. It looks like you and I both were bored in 2020. (laughs) I saw you started in May of 2020. I think I started in like June of 2020 and kind of used that time, that year where everything kind of changed to pivot, figure out new things and uh, about 85 episodes in and all sorts of things there. That's sweet, man. No, your, yeah. your, your podcast is great. 
uh, and I love the I love the title of it, right? The whole the millennial in the middle thing. Isn't yeah. isn't you know, I have a lot to kind of go into with your story. I love that. But isn't it funny how millennial is kind of like that middle generation of like we got stuck kind of in between. Right. I'm a yeah. millennial as well. For sure. I, I mean, I've always loved generational theory and yeah. looking at because really it's history and the point that we are in our lives when we face big events and we do that as a society, we do that as a globe together. And I love studying how we react and how that affects the way we communicate our culture, our careers mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to me, I think Millennials are now kind of that middle generation between kind of the group that's phasing out and Gen Z that's coming up and right. trying to find <laughs> that common ground. Yeah, because we were right. Like most millennials grew up in a time like I remember times before the iPhone, right? And before sure. Facebook and all that stuff. And then so you have like the generation before us who never grew up with that, didn't have it until they were much older and then you have the new generation who doesn't know anything different like my yeah. daughter uh the like we like you know third you know first world country problems but like <laughs> my netflix was down so i let her watch like we had some kind of tv show on right it was like a sure. oh we're at a hotel right and we didn't have netflix we just turned on the tv and she was like dad <laughs> the tv's broken and i go what are you talking about and she goes, it stopped playing my movie here. Look. And it was a commercial and she'd never <laughs> seen it. I mean, my daughter's five, but like, it's just funny how like she's never yeah. seen a commercial. She thought it was broken. Uh, it's so that, wild. It, yeah. It, and especially technology, right? Like mm -hmm. it so affects the way we were raised and brought up. Uh, you know, one of the terms they often call Gen Z is iGen. And it's your daughter, right? Like grew up with yeah. an iPad and an iPhone in hand. And we're right. starting to see how that generation's going to take the workforce <laughs> and what they'll do. But uh, just trying to make yeah. some sense of it all, right? Yeah, that's wild. So you're so 21, you're speaking. I'm, I'm interested. This is a lot of things that like people, you know, ask a lot, right? Everybody, that's like the for, for most, for some people, I guess that's the ideal gig, right? Like I get paid to speak mm -hmm. and that's all I do. So, and I mean, there's obviously more to that, but I'm curious, how did you land in the professional speaking world to begin with? Yeah. Really good question. Uh, you know, as I was young, it was something that I was good at. I had a skill mm -hmm. and I really loved it. So of course I wanted to go make it happen. But, you know, when you're young, you don't necessarily have anything to speak on yet, right? Like it's kind of that mode of you can't go be a motivational speaker or a business consultant when you haven't done anything in the real world. You got to have some gray hair. Sure. Yeah. And so specific to the speaking, what I found was there were either two ways to break into that industry. You, one, had to do something or have some story that other people wanted to hear or you start speaking for an established organization or established company. And yeah. uh, so that's what I did. And uh, I was teaching their concepts and their principles and you know their investment strategies and things like that. And then I think at some point, every speaker or every creator that's done that for an organization or a corporation, 
they realize that they want to start talking about their own stuff, right? Like (laughs) all of that time for five years on the road, (laughs) while it was my personality and I was making real connections, I was pitching someone else's concepts and ideas Mm -hmm. and their business. And I always knew there would be a time that that would shift and it would then be time for, you know, me to share what I was passionate about. So maybe you could say I did it backwards. I got the speaking experience first, then figured out what I wanted to speak (laughs) on. And now here I am. Well, but sometimes that's how you have to do it though. That, I, I love yeah. that you said that, like speaking for an established company, because like, that's also how a lot of speakers um, start their own speaking journey is they like create a company where they have other speakers come, right? They create a business yeah. and they bring in other speakers. Kind of like, you know, like I, uh, one time I, w- I was uh, just messing around on LinkedIn and I was like, you know, I want to, my dream is to moderate an event at one of these big events, like consumer summit or something like that. I want to sure. moderate a panel. Yeah. And somebody wrote in the comments, they were like, just start an event and moderate your own panel. I was like, I was like, well, thanks for making it sound so easy, (laughs) making me feel stupid, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally true. Like you just got to jump in, you got to get started and the credibility comes along the way and you never feel like you're there. Like I always say, I was just talking to a friend the other day about imposter syndrome and Mm. he was starting a new business. It was kind of basically feeling that sentiment. And I said, look, if you're not feeling a bit of the imposter syndrome, you're not thinking big enough, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think having that of like, wow, just jump in shows to me that you're on the right path and you're doing things. Yeah. And, and that's just the, that's the hardest part for businesses, right? And that's my like message to everybody, because I'll inevitably talk with like somebody who listens to the podcast or some, some of my friends and we'll be talking about business and they're like, how do I do this thing? And I'm like, bro, you just got to start. Right. Yeah. Like, like you just have to get going and Mm -hmm. and work on it. Right. I think that's cool. So let's dive into, you know, I think that's, I think that's funny, right? Because you, you go from public speaking. I mean, it's interesting, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you go from public speaking, then you go into this arena where um, you're helping other people. So you're getting paid to speak and now you're helping other people to kind of get paid to speak essentially, right? Like for their time and all these things. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? Yeah. Really, really good question. And this is kind of where it all comes together. Frankly, uh, Opt is a pandemic born company. Uh, You know, that I think the pandemic, we all knew when it was happening that it was going to change the world, right? Like that this just little brief pause in our day-to-day routine would lead to huge changes moving forward, but we didn't necessarily know what that would be, right? Like in the middle of it, we knew this was big, but we didn't know how we'd come out on the other end. And for me, I think more than anything else, like there was an awakening that took place. Um, And going back to generational theory, actually, like they list the types of events in uh, in our nation's history that lead to this, uh, some sort of reaction or some sort of, you know, following events that take place because of one big thing and really an awakening in the sense of people were able to stop for just a second, get off the hamster wheel. We were (laughs) bored for the first time ever. You know, these are the days that we're sitting home watching Tiger King and like, it was such a weird time, but what happens when the whole world goes through this little pause at the same time? And we, reevaluate our priorities and our values and what matters most. What do we want our life to look like? And as far as our careers go, there are three things that happened that really were pretty sequential. The first is work from anywhere, 
right? Like all of a sudden our eyes were open to the fact that <laughs> exactly what we're doing right now, like right. this is possible. And I didn't have to drive up to your place. Like <laughs> both of us can take an hour of our day and do this. Yeah. And I think it made people way more accessible and it made opportunities way bigger. Like your potential market as an individual <laughs> that you could reach suddenly just blew up when you yeah. could work from anywhere. Yeah. And so then the next kind of trend with that is all of a sudden people want now to go back to work, right? Like, all right, corporations are saying, come back into the office. And what yeah. happens? 40 million people resign, yeah. right? Like the great resignation takes place where you have people because they didn't have to go to the office or the nine to five and they took a break. <laughs> they said, I hate that. You know, like, I don't right. want to do that. That's not what I'm passionate about. And that then leads to the third of a lot of what's being written about right now is what they call the passion economy. Yeah. And it's this mindset, right? Of people finding what they're good at and what they love which typically align because as humans, we like being good at things, right? Yeah. And figuring out how to monetize on that, how to yeah. make money, how to turn that into something official. And so that's kind of the movement that was taking place. And, uh, you know, we can step more into then how <laughs> Opt plays that, but that kind of sets the scene for how this idea kind of came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. Passion economy, right? Because passion, I feel is like a buzzword. So I've mm -hmm. interviewed a lot of people, like even like I, I interviewed one time, uh, her name was Gabrielle Boucher. She's okay. like a passion coach, like teach people sure. how to like turn their passion in, into money. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, but what's funny is it's like a buzzword because you hear like the both sides, right? Like find your passion. And then you hear some, you know, like the, you hear like at both sides of the hustle culture, right. It's like, you have this, like find your passion, do your passion. And then you have the other side that's like, F that, right. Just like do what you, you know, like yeah. do what you do, what you have to do to succeed kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Whether that's passionate or not. And, and so you kind of have this like both sides of the aisle where I feel like we're not getting like a real clear message. Like sometimes it's very woo woo. And then sometimes it's very like, forget about it. Right. So where do you kind of see yourself on that spectrum as far as like, how do you teach people about their passions or like, how do you help people come into their passions or something like that? Yeah. You know, it, I would say the old school way of thinking is kind of this line around like, oh, forget about money, just chase your dreams. Right. And I think there's a big portion of society right now that's saying, no, I, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Like, I yeah. think you can look at want to chase money and want to be successful and effective and do what you love. And so I think it's definitely ideological at its core. Uh, and I definitely fall on that <laughs> ideological side of like pro passion economy. Yeah. But then when the rubber meets the road, it's more than about, okay, how do you monetize on that? And to me, you know, as we, as we built op, so we'll get into the yeah. app, but really simply, it's a way to pay people for their time or get paid for yours. Right. Yeah. And so we use this example, like, as we were going through the whole like user <laughs> flow, there's all sorts of people that this could fit and all these diverse ways of going about it. And we yeah. use this example of like, if someone was an expert in lizards, right? Like as dorky <laughs> as that might sound, but like they all know everything about lizards. Yeah. If you're going to buy a pet lizard, like this is the guy to talk to. And 20 years ago, 
that person, if they wanted to chase their like quote unquote lizard dreams, right. (laughs) They would probably get a job at Petco and they would be the person there to work at it. And only people that were close enough to that location of the Petco could show up and benefit from his expertise. Whereas now today with social media, with the power of content and the reach it can have, and then virtual meetings, like we're all accustomed to now, all of a sudden, if if you were the world's leading expert in how to have a pet lizard, you've gone from your town that you can influence to literally the world. Right. Right. And so, so that is where kind of the rubber meets the road. And of course, there's a lot of steps in actually making it happen that might be dependent on the job, but I, I, I think it can happen. I think it's realistic. Okay. I know. I, and I agree with you. It's just, yeah. it's, but do you see what I mean? Like it happens yeah. all the time. You kind of just see both, but I feel like I'm in the same vein with you where, which is like, you can be passionate about something and then also have the reality of like, this is my passion, but that doesn't mean it's going to be rainbows and butterflies when we start trying to do this thing and, and nail it. Right. Sure. Um, because certainly you're going to have bumps in the road and then that's where passion comes in. Right. So I'm assuming that's kind of where you're where you end up with that is like, if you're passionate enough, it'll, it'll help you cruise through those hard times. Yeah. I think that's well said. And also the realization that we don't need to be defined by just one thing, right? Like what do you do? Oh, I am an attorney (laughs) or I am a plumber, right? Like you might be a plumber that also is a lizard expert. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Right. But I think, I think kind of opening up to these ideas of, we don't, we have more ways to trade our time for dollars now than just going and getting a job. Yeah. 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 I know that that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. And so do you ever work with people to help them kind of identify what they're passionate about or, or, or are there signs with things that you like to do that kind of emulate or, or kind of point to what someone is passionate about. Yeah. So for the time I was on the road, you know, I spent five years out speaking. We had, you know, I probably saw a couple hundred fresh faces a day that were looking for financial freedom, looking for a better way or trying to make it right. And so I saw them day after day after day. And I think there's a realization that the status quo isn't working for a lot of people, right? And the the plan yeah. that we were all given that you do this and you rise the ladder, <laughs> like one, a lot of people didn't want, and two, they, they did want it, but it wasn't working out. Right. And, and so, you know, I didn't have during that point, a whole lot of answers for those people, to be honest, you know, it was like, yeah. well, here's the playbook. Here's how things roll. (laughs) And so work harder, or maybe you'll get a lucky break along the way. And I think it was so many of those conversations that then paved the way to opt because, you know, we, we looked at it and we said, we could build something that's very specific to an industry or, you know, like, all right, real estate agents are always trying to get people's time. So let's build a real estate tool. And we really, from a lot of those conversations and knowing how diverse people's backgrounds, expertise, skills are, we said, we need to build this. So it's Venmo simple. So everyone (laughs) can use it. And it's not like you have to go through some big application process to get accepted. Like 
if you have people that value your time or you value the time of others, can you make those, uh, you know, those meetings or those sessions, whatever it might be, happen in a realistic way? Yeah, I like that a lot. When you so so here's the thing with uh, I have two questions, uh, yeah. and they're they're a little different. But the first one is kind of on this passion uh, idea. How do you turn your passion into money? Like, what does that look like? Are there steps? Is it uh, is it more you know philosophical than that? Or I mean, what what does it look like? Yeah, you know, one thing that we've talked quite a bit is this problem that a lot of people have is that they we call it no, but not known. And what we mean by that is these people know things. They have mm-hmm. an expertise. They have the experience. Uh, they have the passion or whatever it might be. But they as an individual are not known, right? Yeah. Like they don't have a following or any sort of credibility or, you know, like a, a stamp certification to basically say, hey, here I am. And yeah. so I think, if you find yourself in the position where you're in the no, but not known, then the first trick becomes getting known, putting yourself out there. And especially with social media, we have the ability to get a message out in a way that we never had before. And, but here's how I would make that a little cautionary. I think when we think of like putting out content, especially on social, that the metric for success is thousands and thousands of followers or going viral and becoming this influencer. (laughs) And I don't think that's the case. I've seen a lot of people be really successful with their passion with five to 10 awesome clients or five to 10 people at a repeat. So you don't have to be the influencer, right? But you've got to put yourself in a situation to where you can get solid recurring business and revenue. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you pointed out two ideas there that really resonate with me uh, that I talk about all the time on this podcast, which is that number one, like, you know, success looks different for everybody. And that's okay. That like, Mm. we all don't like statistically, it's impossible for all of us to be Elon Musk, right? (laughs) But can we find happiness doing what we love and working with people that we want to work with? and make money and and live the life we want to live. And, you know, obviously I think we both agree. The answer to that question is yes. (laughs) Right. And then just, and then just like getting out there and not focusing on the outputs, focusing on the input. So social media content is a great, is a great example of this, right? Like it very much is like with a podcast, like, you know, mine is like right here and then it goes up, (laughs) you know, two Mm -hmm. years, 200 episodes. (laughs) And then finally I get it right. Like, and, and that's pretty quick you know, comparatively, but like, you know, just be patient and and keep working and like all those things are great advice, you know? Yeah. And and kudos to you. We have similar stories in the podcasting world, right? Of like my first episode was in my living room (laughs) with, you know, just like this janky little setup I'd put together and I go back and listen to those first 15 episodes. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. I feel bad for making people listen to this. But yeah. you just have to get rolling. It's never going to be perfect, yeah. but hopefully it only gets better. Yeah, absolutely. So my my idea with that, like my philosophy is done is better than perfect, right? So like just, you know, and yeah. people love to see the progression of exactly you as a creator, of you as a brand and a business and things like that. So I don't think there's, 
anything wrong on that end. You know what I mean? As mm-hmm. far as like just making sure that like you're doing what you love and kind of getting, getting to that point. And so, and that, and that kind of brings up, you know, this, this other point of like how um, opt helps people. Right. So like the thing with when I hear opt and I've kind of seen your stuff on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and everything like that. And so for me, it's like, okay, um, that's cool. Right. But like someone like me, right. Like I, I, and I guess I have a little imposter syndrome, but like, you know, I'm a sales coach podcasting, but but like, I don't know who would ever randomly pay me money to meet with me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is this, is, does this happen to your no, no, not known kind of idea? Well, I think there'll be different categories of users, right? There's categories of users that are already charging for their time and they're just looking for an easier way to do it or to systemize it, right? Yeah. And you have another group of people that aren't necessarily charging for their time, but they could. It's the ones that always are getting hit up of like, (laughs) hey, can I pick your brain or can I take you to lunch? And the phrase that we hear over and over is these people would be willing to pay them but if there isn't a process, it's a really awkward conversation, right? Yeah, to then be like, yeah. well, I'd love to sit and talk to you about your startup, but can you send me $80, you know, like <laughs> that people sure. don't feel comfortable doing that. And so we basically said, if we can go in there and the response to that is, oh yeah, well, here's how I, re- here's how I handle this. I charge a hundred dollars an hour. It's communicated by the app. The schedule yeah. is there in a very similar way to a Calendly or something like that, yeah. where they could go pick it out. All of a sudden there's this little sense of credibility in the fact of this happens to me all the time. And this is how I <laughs> respond. And then you give the other person the ability to opt in or opt out, right? Like they make <laughs> right. the choice of how they want to spend their time. And, and then there's that third group that maybe is where you fit that you'd like to be to the point where you could charge for your time. Um, maybe it's a sporadic thing, but I would also say that you could possibly see yourself on the other side of the spectrum of paying for others time of, you know, you've got a podcast, Hey, I'll pay you a hundred bucks to come on my podcast. And (laughs) how different does that conversation look when it's like, this is what I do all the time. And maybe you get some interviews with people that, uh, you know, I know you pride yourself on talking to little guys, but maybe that's a way to get to the big guys. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it is, you know, because that that's true though. I mean, I've had, had, I've had some instances where it's like, they would love to do a podcast, but they're just, I mean, at this point, you know, any extra time, yeah. you know, they got to be making money. And I don't, I don't ever think that's a bad thing. Like, cause I've been on the other end of that conversation where like, look, would love to, you're awesome. Blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> you know what I mean? And sure. it's fine. Like I, I get it. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What kind of, but I would imagine though, that there's been some pushback, some resistance to this kind of model. Um, has there, am I, am I off base there or like, You know, it's basically, I think a lot of people know that they have to value their time. Like we all say that phrase, like, oh, I value my time. (laughs) It's my most valuable asset, but we really struggle putting a value on it. Right. And, and so I think that it's definitely a paradigm shift for a lot of people that (laughs) haven't done that before. And, you know, think about it. We have an app to sell or rent anything. Right. And it's wild. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yet our most valuable asset, like we, it seems like we struggle more than anything else with that of putting a price tag on it. And that's yeah. why currency was designed in the yeah. first place to value something. And so I, I think as the passion economy becomes more prevalent and as Zoom meetings and these independent people out there doing things, I think currency as a form for time is going to become so common and yeah. not even that we don't even bat an eye at it. Yeah, no, that's and, and and I and I totally agree. It's just, you know, that's like the the devil's advocate in me, right? That's just like, you know, because like, you know, you're on both sides where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, why would I pay for someone's time? Why would someone pay me? But I think, you know, that's, you know, as I as I run through that in my mind, it's kind of like a scarcity mindset, like, you know, instead of like having that abundance mindset of like, if I want to meet with this person, I can pay to do that. Like this would have been great. But you know what, though, two, two thoughts to this, this would have been great starting my podcast, but it also mm -hmm. might not my podcast then might not have ever happened because my podcast started sure. because I asked a bunch of people, uh, you know, like lunch for an hour, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Right. And they were all like, no, 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 no. And I was like, okay. So then I hear this, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. He talked about networking and creating a place where people wanted to be, um, so I was like, oh, well, everybody likes to talk and I like to talk and podcast, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So funny enough, I went back to all those 10 people and I was like, hey, I know, I, I know we couldn't go to lunch, but I just started a podcast. Would love to interview you on my podcast. All 10 of them. Yep. Anytime <laughs> you want. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but that was the, there was a, you know, it wasn't necessarily money, but there was value for them because they could get yes. their story out. They knew I was going to, it was free marketing for them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that to me, what you just described is you finding a way to add value, right? Yeah. So you might have what you're passionate about, but you've got to offer some value in whatever it is you're doing. And, yeah. you know, that's now your product that you get advertisements <laughs> on or whatever that might be, however you sure. monetize the podcast. But, you know, it started because you had to provide value on that end of things. Um, you know, so, to go so back that makes to your. Sense. Yeah, I like that though. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to your question kind of about the pushback, I was going to give you an example that, uh, you know, we've seen quite a bit of, you know, there definitely will be people that say, oh, I'm not willing to pay for time. And it almost becomes a, a way, way to weed out and to find who's serious that a lot of people yeah. really love. Yeah. So for example, I'm really connected with a lot of social media influencers, the, you know, kind of the businesses I've been in, I've been with a lot of them. And if you go to someone who's a legit influencer <laughs> and you go look in like their Instagram message requests, not their inbox, but the ones that don't follow them, right. thousands of messages. Like I've yeah, seen over and over of all these people and most of them are wannabes they don't have an actual partnership that they can bring yeah. but there are some in there that are legit brands yeah. that are trying to reach out that that influencer would want to know and so for example but they if just they get go, lost in the message request yeah that's a good point yeah so all of a sudden you respond to everyone and say okay sure i'll do this but i charge 50 bucks for an hour you might only have 10 of your 2000 that do that but the 10 that do it they've researched you, they're serious. That probably has the best chance of being the best feeding too. So I, yeah. I think there can be some benefit of people yeah. self-selecting out. Yeah. You know what? It, it, that, that's true because 
um, I was just talking about this the, the other day when I was recording a podcast, right? But we were talking about this and it's always come up, right? But like I used to do, I mean, I still do now a little bit, but I used to be a heavy into like sales training. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'll do it every once in a while, but I'm focused primarily on my podcast. But uh, I remember growing up or not growing up, but like being new in the sales training world. So I had sold for like six years. I was really good at what I did. And now I'm training teams and people. And during my six years, I had paid probably like 15 or 20 grand into my own sales training along with the experience, like my own sales training. And, uh, but, but I'm like, you know, ADHD. So I kept everything because I I knew I would forget. So I have, I have like a whole Google drive folder with like Grant Cardone, Jim Rohn, uh, Jeb Blunt, all these guys, all the big Anthony and Reno, all these guys. And, um, when I would train people, I'd be like, Hey, if you want to learn, here you go. Like it's all free. Yeah. And the, and I, if I had 10 people, zero people would take me seriously. And then when mm-hmm. I started sales training, I made my own program. Uh, I made my, I put in all my own stuff and started charging for it. And 10 out of 10 would join. It's yeah. just this, the, yeah, it's just the, it's just the weight that we put in that money, you know, that we have to stick with it almost. For sure. I, I love that story. And I, I've heard so many similar to that because that's perceived yeah. value, right? Yeah. Like, if I, you know, I'm, I'm a golfer and my dad's a golf pro and it's like yeah. the guys that teach the most lessons are the <laughs> ones that charge the most Yeah, because it makes people think, well, if I'm going to take a golf lesson, I want the best guy. And if <laughs> he's a hundred and he's 75, I'm going with the hundred guy. Yeah, And, and so I really think there's value in being being confident in what value add, putting an actual price to that and then sticking with it and, you know, valuing your time and the time of others that you're serious. And you know, that what you're bringing to the table, uh, you know, is a big deal. Yeah. I'm a religious buff. Right. So there's that, uh, saying in the Bible, that's like, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah. Kind of thing. I, right? like, I have never heard anyone say religious buff. I like that. <laughs> I say history buff, but you're yeah. a religion buff. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was funny. So you want to hear so funny story just about this whole, cause it just kind of flows with our topic, right? Like yeah. when, when I was growing up, I was in, um, I like grew up in a really small town and I remember telling my mom one day, she's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, we have that conversation. And I was like, well, you know what? I really like teaching. Like I really like coaching people and teaching mm-hmm. people. And my, you know, my mom goes, she's like, well, teachers don't make any money. So you got to pick something different. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I was like, ouch, but, but I, but because of that small town, we didn't have a lot of exposure to like ideas or anything. Like in my town, it was like, you were one of the, you know, you're the only CPA or attorney or whatever. Right. Or you were worked in the factory or you worked on the farm. Like that's just yep. what you did. Right. Um, And so there wasn't a a whole lot of exposure around those ideas, but now 2022, right. We're like coaches and consultants and like being a teacher means more than just teaching in a classroom. And so it's just funny. Like then I found my way through like, Oh, okay. I can teach. And like, Oh, I can actually do a lot of, I can have a lot of fun and, and still do what I love because I do love religion and philosophy. Right. And you can do all those things because we're in this passion economy. We're in this like, yeah connected economy now. So it's, it's so true. I wish I would have done this earlier, but I'm doing it now. So 
you know, I, I love that visual of you talking about the small town you grew up in and cause yeah. you can almost feel it like being in a different time that we yeah. struggle relating with now. And to me, it, it goes to show like this evolution of values that's taken yeah. place because, you know, 40 years ago or in a small town like that, like what you valued most was stability was security. It was the fact that you were going to put food on the table and right. you had generations that doing that was the American dream, right? Like yeah. having that cookie cutter house <laughs> in an American suburb with a white picket fence was like, we've made it. Yeah, and here, yeah. I think as society evolves and expands all of a sudden now, like uh, the things we value aren't necessarily safety or security. It's doing what we love. It's fulfillment. It's travel. It's flexibility. It's yeah. not being bored doing the same monotonous thing your whole life. Right. And right. so to me, I think like that always is the higher level. And then the trickle down of how people then actually go about applying that. Yeah. Well, and, and it's just like, we even get in like small town mindsets, right? Mm -hmm. too. Like I meet people with that. I'm like, you know, like, for example, it's just so in my in my when I grew up, it's just so crazy. And this is why I kind of want to like go back to my hometown and like offer some of these things to kids because mm -hmm. like, you just don't know what you don't know. Like, for example, yeah. I tell the story all the time, people are probably sick of hearing it. But it just it was a very pivotal moment in my life, <laughs> mm -hmm. where you know, in high school, you want you do the how to award or like the most likely to succeed award or whatever the most. Likely hey, yes. To so growing up, I was always salesman. I was selling, like I got kicked out of the school playground because <laughs> they were selling like fruit loops and stuff. And I was like, dude, I can make, I can sell it for cheaper. I can buy it for cheaper, sell it for cheaper and make money. <laughs> so I'd peddle these things on the playground, kick me out. They're like, you can't do that. So I have stories like that. Right. So like mm -hmm. what happens when I get to high school and they have these most likely two awards? Well, the one that I win is most likely to be a con artist award because in a small town, you don't know what a salesman is. Yeah, that is too funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you just get into these mindsets and, and like people, you know, so I love this idea. And I guess to kind of bring it full circle, I love this idea that, you know, teaching people how to make money be, doing what you're passionate about and that that's actually possible. Because like, if mm -hmm. you're in a small town, if you're in a high school where there's only 500 kids in the middle of Iowa, mm -hmm. that isn't really possible if you don't yeah. know those things. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you know I, mean? I, I love that. I, we have some of those same genetics of uh, <laughs> trying to move some product on the recess uh, playground. Yeah, yeah, I so love I, it. I so like I sold like when I growing up, I sold like candy like that. And then one time, my mom. So I lived in a town in Iowa, right next to Nauvoo, Illinois, mm -hmm. and it's a big history site for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So. Back then there was a big pageant and it would bring like hundreds of thousands of people, okay. like literally into, into the town. And uh, so one day my mom comes home with like the trunk is full of like these uh, store pulled ties. So like, if you, you know, if this, like, if uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a Nordstrom's rack model, like okay. if Macy's doesn't sell all their ties, they'll give them to Nordstrom's rack and Nordstrom's rack yeah. will sell them at a discount. So she comes back with all these ties and I, she's like, Hey, you're going to earn some money this summer. She got me a chair and a, <laughs> and a tent laid out all the ties. And for like two summers, I spent all my, all my time out there selling like these store-bought ties, <laughs> like a lemonade stand, but like not yeah. a lemonade stand. <laughs> That's know. awesome. I mean, there's so much in that story of 
hustle and grit and figuring it out. But yeah. I think, you know, at the heart of every salesperson is the ability to communicate and yeah. the ability yes. to communicate value, to be yeah. able to ask questions, to find what they need, what they're looking for, why should they care in the first place? And mm -hmm. so, you know, it, it's funny that society might, <laughs> salespeople are really good at it, almost seem too smooth than the con artist, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, good effective communicators that know how to know how to yeah. say what they have and help other people <laughs> find that need or maybe find a need that even oh, i didn't know i needed to tie but that's exactly what i need yeah you're like dude that's it right um well and it's just this idea that like yeah i mean you know when you're when you're talking about you know to kind of bring it full circle with with your company opt and everything like that right it's just like do you have you know what i mean like giving the right amount of time to the right people you know, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, yeah, it's got to hurt a little bit to do that. Yeah. Like, that's what, you know, it's just what we got to do. And so I just think it's funny um, that when, you know, when we talk about all of this, like, yeah, I mean, having, putting skin in the game to talk to somebody that you really want to talk to, that that's it, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. And, and there's definitely, you know, there's the expert guru side of things that'll be used a lot, but then there's some use cases that we've been surprised by. Like uh, one industry that's just loved this has been construction. And oh. so for example, you've got uh, a lot of contractors now that are charging for bids. And, you know, cause if you're oh, going to go yeah. out to someone's house, travel there, go check it out, give a bid, probably a couple hours for most of these contractors. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to one of our, uh, to one of our users that basically said, I'm a general contractor. I have eight houses that I'll build at a time, but I will do five to 10 bids a week. And so like, he knows how big that number is. And he goes, and so that's, that's 20 hours a week I'm spending. And most of those people just want to pick my brain. They just want yeah, to get a quote. Dude. They just want to get numbers. They, they like, or they like kind of like manipulate you a little bit, like come do a bit on my house and oh, how would you do that again? And then they just go do it themselves for sure. Yeah. And so no he's way. like, I don't, I don't have a way to charge for that. So all of a sudden, if they can schedule the money's paid, they go and do that. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you have all these people that have struggled making money before a contract is signed. Yeah. That's funny that the, the GCs wouldn't do that. Cause like, you know, HVAC or electrician or any of those guys will make you pay. They're like, it's, yeah. it's like 150 for me to just come out there and talk to you. Right. Sure. Yeah. But, but that's funny that GC, but it's a great use case because it's so true. But, and, and you know what it reminded me of is like, so you, you know, your general contractor in that story has eight houses that they're building, mm -hmm. but they spend 20 hours on the side doing bids and all these things. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me think of like how to monetize, you know, your side income, because like everybody does that, right? Like I work 40 mm -hmm. hours a week, but I do all this stuff on the side that I'm yeah. sure, you know, if you're in a position like that, where you're, where you're with someone's time, right? You could definitely do that. It's just another way to like make money on your side hustles. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, I, I think that. you said that so well. <laughs> and that goes back to what we said earlier, like you don't have to be just one thing, yeah, you know, yeah. you can, you can have a side hustle and you yeah. can find other ways to monetize. Now, now, this is something that I struggled with. I just only recently kind of got over it. But mm -hmm. like, how do you tell people like when you when you have the throw this idea at people, uh, pitch this idea to people, 
of, of like this building your personal network and it's okay to like, you know, have your nine to five, but also be working on this side stuff. Cause I was always afraid that if like my employer knew that I was doing mm. a podcast or something like that, that, that they would get upset. Right. And actually what I found out was the exact opposite, but I, I felt like, you know, I could have done this way earlier. So I don't know, does that conversation ever come up to like, yeah, I, I could do it, but like my boss will say this or like, you know, I, what, what will happen to my network or something like that. Right. Oh, I have this conversation all the time. And I, I think this is the evolution that's happening in the workforce as well mm-hmm. that was shown to us by COVID. So yeah. like what you just explained is employers have always been used to feeling like they owned a person, right? Like yeah. I yeah. own everything in your professional space and the amount of time you put in, like <laughs> you have one way to make money and that's the salary <laughs> I pay you. And so all of a sudden people started working from home and you had these corporations that felt like they'd lost control. They're like, well, well, how do we know if people are putting in an eight hour day? How do we, what if they're working on other things? Like it was all fear driven. And to me, I think the shift that's starting to take place. And obviously we still have a long ways to go is by changing the way you actually value employees. So it becomes less about, the number of hours they're there doing their job, which yeah. by the way, we know a lot of people, you know, will be at the office for eight <laughs> hours, but maybe only do stuff a couple of those hours. Well, sure. And, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And then figuring out, so how do you now reward people based on output and, mm. and reward them in a way that's based on what they're actually doing. And mm-hmm. if a company can do that well, then who cares what else they have going on, yeah, right? Yeah. It only brings energy, like do it, <laughs> come to work. Don't feel like this is the only monotonous thing you have to do, but it does require a paradigm shift in the, in the business to not just say, oh, I'm paying you for your time. Like I'm paying you yeah. to do X, Y, and Z, which yeah. should take this amount of time to yeah, do it, it well. And you're right. It's, it is kind of changing because you have this whole um, idea that's that's like, you know, now it is more output driven. So, but like sales has always been like that. I'm sure you're familiar, right? Like, yeah. like when the pandemic shut down, like no one cared, like they were like, have your cameras on. So we know you're, mm-hmm. you're alive or whatever. Right. But for the most part, it was like, you have quotas that you have to hit. And if you don't hit them there, you know, then we'll, then we'll have a talk. But otherwise, yeah. if you're, you know, like sales is one of those where you have like the top gun position where it's like, you know, if you're doing what you're doing, sweet, we'll leave you alone. But if you're not, yeah. that's when we need to have a talk. And so, yeah, how do you incorporate that into some other positions that aren't necessarily measured on that kind of an output, right? But but I agree, though, because it's just so like, it, but, but like doubling down on my personal network and doubling down on like, make, you know, like valuing me and who I really am outside of like my work changed my whole life. It saved me from a layoff that could have been really catastrophic that that's catastrophic for a lot of people, but I was really blessed to like a few, like a two months before that start really doubling down. I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do this and whatever mm-hmm. happens happens. And it ended up being great. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. No, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, it was kind of dawning on me, as you said that, that it almost it, you know, the reason that people are 
attracted to sales is because of the flexibility is yeah. because of the freedom and that, you know, like they're betting on themselves uh, at right. the end of the day, a salesperson, right. right? Like you can make this much money or this much <laughs> money. And it depends on how yeah. things turn out. Right. And could you pay an accountant like a salesperson? Could you pay your yeah. customer support rep like a salesperson? Yeah. And it's going to depend, but like, yeah, I think that tough, organizations yeah. can figure it out. I Well, I think we're already kind of doing that. Like we also, what 2020 also brought up was like the outsourcing economy too, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that, right? Yeah. Like um, where you have like this idea that, um, you know, you're just like, we can outsource everything. And so like, for me, like a virtual assistant who like a bookkeeper, right? Yep. Like, you don't for the like bookkeepers get paid by the hour, but you pay them up front. Like I will mm -hmm. give you 10 hours worth of work. This is what you can expect. And once I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. So, so you, you know, it's a good point that to bring that up, like you could start paying people like that pretty easily because we have deadlines and we have to, but, but the hard part that you're going to run into, I feel like, uh, Connor is, is, uh, people just not wanting to give up that power. Like you mentioned. Sure. They feel like they have that control, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm by no means thinking that we're going to change everyone's mind in the world, right? Like there will always be <laughs> sure. organizations that are like, we own you, you're going to do this. But yeah. I think, I think there's already an existing need for this in such a major way. And I only mm. think that'll increase. And I mean, just yeah, like any business, right? There, there's yeah. going to be downsides <laughs> to all of it. And people that are, some people sure. are going to think your product's stupid and never use it. And that's okay. Move on to the next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I love that, man. No, ops going to the moon for sure, bro. Well, hey, we're, we're running up on time, but you've been more than yeah. generous with your knowledge and your time. So, uh, but tell everybody how they can follow you, where they can, if they want to join ops, if they want to start looking into it, how does that work? Is it, is it live yet? Or are you still working on everything? Perfect. Or? So yeah, go to optme.com, optme.com. And uh, we are about two weeks away from our launch. And what we're doing right now is we're actually gathering a group. We're calling it our early adopters, pun intended, yeah. uh, that are actually getting credits and getting early access to the product before we do like our full-scale public launch. So yeah. anyone that's listening, feel free to go check that out. Go join, feel free to uh, in invite some other people to be some of those first to get their hands on it as well. Cool. Uh, and uh, it's it's going to be a fun ride. I I just uh, finished with the development team before this call and it is like, <laughs> oh, it's so cool to see an idea become a thing, you know, yeah, to, to yeah. go to that point. It's not easy to do. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes. Um, <laughs> and as far as following me, it's just Connor Delin is my handle on all social channels. And you can find my podcast and things like that there as well. Oh, dope. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. And I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Dalton, for having me on and love what you're doing and what you're uh, trying to make happen. Thank you, sir.